0: It's week eight of this series, and if you follow us online, you saw a message entitled Kiss It Goodbye uh, that I was supposed to speak this morning. I, I came in, in the office early. I actually got here earlier than normal and, and began to pray, and I was doing a devotion, and this devotion by Chris Valton popped up, and I began to read it, and I thought, man, this is some good stuff. I'm going to mark that, and I'm going to use this later on in the message. And, and I went back to work on, uh, went to work on today's message, just rehearsing it in my mind. And um, God began to deal with me and keep me going back, keep me going back. I was like, I'm, I'm done with this. I prefer to do the message I'm done with. And God kept sending me back. So I, I said, okay, God, I'm going to start. I'm going to start, and you leave. And today I feel like um, this is a word that this body needs right now. Um, it's fresh. I may stick to my notes more than usual, uh, but uh, I, I do believe it's a word direct. It's a direct wake-up call for us this Sunday, November 8th, 2020. So if you're taking notes, today's wake-up call. Did we get it in there, Keisha? we get everything? Today's wake-up call. Wake up to who, ha- who has the final say of your life, not have, uh, that... This is the result of my wife not getting to proofread my my typing, uh, my notes. But to who has the final say of your life? Now, Denise and I started pastoring a little over eight years ago um, that with this new chapter of our life. and. Uh, or senior pastors. We've been music pastors for over 20 years. But the senior pastor was a new thing for us. And if you've ever heard our story, it was not something we wanted to do. It was not on our bucket list. It wasn't like, hey, uh, what do we want to do with the next 30, 40 years of our life? Oh, I know. Go pastor people. Wasn't even in the top two things, 10, 15, 20 things of things. And God began to deal with us and move. But we've been involved in ministry pretty much our whole marriage. Um, And I've been in it my whole life. And one of the things I've learned in ministry, I'm getting a little bit of a ring up here, uh, is this. Do not talk politics from the pulpit. Uh, You won't find a political party sticker on my vehicle. You won't find one of those things in my yard. You won't find a wave or a flag waving, and, and here's why. I'm not saying that politics aren't important. I believe they are. I, I do believe they are, but I, I refuse to have my relationship with Jesus tied to a political party or candidate. Are you hearing me? Because I don't want someone to see, oh, oh, that's who. Oh, that's who, what political party you, you're a part of, and automatically, them begin to judge me, and now I don't have an open line of communication because they already think things about me that are not true. Are you following me? So, so that that's the thing. But, but because there are people that'll fight about it. I, I'm not talking about get online fight. I'm talking about fist fighting. We've seen it. We've seen it. And I, and I'm just not one of them. I saw something um, posted a few days before the election that. First, it kind of made me, kind of ticked me off a little bit. Uh, And then it made me go, huh? Really? And here's what some of y'all, if y'all are friends with anybody that's in our friend circle, you, you may have saw the post too. It said this, if you're following or under a ministry or church who won't discuss the election and or the importance of voting biblical principles, then you are not under a leader you are under a follower. Be careful. Here was my thought once I worked through the the, the cussing in my head. Here's my, here was my thought. If you're under a leader, whether it's a church or ministry, that for the previous four years, haven't been preaching biblical principles that tell you how God believes, then what kind of leader are you under? And me getting up here two weeks before an election trying to pounce something, that's not going to do anything for anybody. Are you hearing me? And furthermore, God did not call me to be a politician. He called me to be a pastor and preach the gospel, period. Now, I believe there are people called to this. Melinda's brother, I believe in Texas, is one of those. This guy is brilliant. I, I, I'm talking brilliant, smart, and I've watched videos of him challenging. And I'm thinking, man, I wish I was that smart so I could just tear somebody apart like that. I can't. I can't because I, I, I get mad. I'm like, you're dumb. Let's just fight. <laughs> I think I can win a physical fight, but a war of probably don't have much of a chance. But I've watched on social media posts this week. I watched them yesterday on social media as it was announced that Biden was the projected winner of the election. I saw some posts of praise. I saw some posts of anger and frustration. But one of the things that amazes me, especially when it comes to people that claim to be followers of Jesus, is this. That that you get the sense from some followers of Jesus that here's their belief. If the wrong person gets voted into office, everything's going to hell. But if the right person gets in there, meaning my person, everything's going to be great. And It's like we have no short-term memory of when who we wanted was in there and things weren't that great. It's like we think one person is in charge of our destiny. One human being, and it relies on them to get in office. Here's the truth. There is not one human individual that has that much control or power over your future. Let, let me get a little more honest since I've already been honest. I'm trying to decide how uh, how much of a filter I should use today because then he says my filter has gotten better, so I'm deciding whether to get one of my old filters back or stick with a new one. Uh Take the filter out. Thank you. Thank you. And, and I do agree with you, James, about, but I, I was in the middle of studying, so I'll get with you later. Here's the truth. Your marriage falls apart, it's not going to matter who's in office. Your kid gets out of control and strung out on drugs, it's not going to matter who, who, who's in the White House or who has control. Your parents get a divorce and you're having to choose which side you're going to be for or where you're going to stay. It won't matter who's in the White House. You lose your job, find yourself on the verge of bankruptcy, you get a call that either you or someone you love has cancer, it is not going to matter who is in office when you get that call. That person is not going to get on the phone and call you and pray with you. I'm just going to let it settle in. That person that you were so radical about and passionate about, they're not gonna check on you when somebody in your family's died. They're not gonna check on you when you're calling around saying, have you seen my son? Have you seen my daughter? I haven't seen them in three days, and, and and they're they're on a pill bench. But but the people around you will. And that's why I wonder why we fight so hard with each other about things that really, at the end of the day, are not that important. But those we do life with, that's why I said this last week, why we spend so much time looking at the things we disagree on and we cannot focus on the things we agree on. So many times we act like those people that we voted for are the ones who determine our happiness, our future, our hope, our faith. And I get it. Especially in the times we're in right now, it's easy to fall into that mindset, especially if you get most of your information from social media or the news. Come on. Some of y'all, y'all would find yourself less depressed, less filled with anxiety uh, if you just got off social media for a while. Let's move on. Um, this is where I'm trying to decide how honest I want to be. Because I was praying, either it was Friday or Saturday morning, and I You know, going through my normal routine for prayer. And then I just stopped. And I said, you know what, God, I'm tired. And I began to list what I was tired of. And I I don't think I'm going to be as honest because some of my tiredness is a result of some of y'all. So. (laughs) so. But I'm like, God, I'm tired. Tired of this. I'm tired of that. Well, you know what, let's let, well, let's wait on out there, James. My wife's like, please, God, no. <laughs> Confessions of a pastor. Good? God, I'm tired of reaching out to people that seems like they don't even care. I'm tired of begging people to come back to the house of God while seeing them out running around everywhere to Walmart, to the store, to kids' ball games, and yet when I ask them about church, they're scared to come to church. Like those other places don't have anybody that's got COVID. Just church. Just church. I I said, you know, I mean, is this okay? Some of you are like, I hate this guy. I mean, I'm tired. I said, and this is me because I I feel like I can vent to God. And and I said, you know what, God, I'm tired of texting people, calling people. Sometimes they respond. Sometimes, most of the time, they don't uh, because they're like, oh, no, pastor's after us again. Uh, And and I'm like, and and I find, though, I'm not alone in just being tired. Anybody else, would anybody else be honest and say, Kelly, you know what? This eight, nine months, man, things have happened that have just got me tired and weary. Need, come on, let's be honest. And I know some of y'all are like, well, well, that's about a quarter of them. It seems like the pastor's just as screwed up as the rest of them. That's, no, let's be real. Let's be honest because that's the only way you can move past it. And, and, and if I looked up the definition of tired. Here's what it says. Drained of strength and energy. Fatigued. Weary. Weary. No longer fresh or in good condition. Can anybody relate to that definition? You're fatigued, drained. And I'm not talking if you've had COVID because the effects can linger with you, but I'm talking about spiritually, emotionally, fatigued, and drained. Today I want to look at a passage in the Bible, uh, Ezekiel chapter 37. And this was so, the first 9 a.m. didn't have PowerPoint. And so between services, I'm back there trying to get a PowerPoint. That's why you're probably going to see a lot of misspellings because Denise usually goes over it and corrects all my mistakes. But um, Ezekiel 37, here we find the people of Israel. Uh, They're in this state of, I'm just tired. I'm drained. I'm weary. Uh, They're at the end of themselves. They're fatigued. The thing is, it's, their weariness and their fatigue and they're being drained is mostly due to the bad decisions they've made. Now can anybody relate? And, and so they find themselves... And, and, and here, here's the truth about these people. They had a strong belief in God. They knew who they were. They knew they were the chosen ones of God. They knew they were the people of God. They're supposed to be walking in the blessings of God, yet what they know... I've talked a little bit about this Wednesday night, actually. What they know is not lining up with what they're seeing. I know I'm a child of God. I know I'm supposed to be walking into bless, blessing, but I'm not seeing it. And, and so they're worn out. They feel more cursed than they do blessed. They feel more abandoned than they do adopted. I mean, they're slaves of this horrible king. And so their mindset begins to shift from blessed, adopted, chosen by God, to we have no future, we have no hope. And so God begins to speak to the prophet Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 37, starting with verse 1. The hand of the Lord was on me, he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord. And he set me in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. We're going to come back to that, but let's jump down to verse 11. Then he said to me, Son of man, These bones are the people of Israel, the God's children, the ones that know they're supposed to be blessed. Look what it says. They say our bones are dried up. They say our hope is gone. They say we are cut off. I think so many times when we find ourselves in those situations where we're tired, we're frustrated, we're aggravated with life, we, we think it's God is saying those things about us. You're cut off. You're dried up. You're hopeless, but it says that's not the way God was seeing them. It says that's the way they saw themselves, and and they said we are dried up, we're cut off from God. There was no hope. Have you ever been there, guys? Where because of choices you've made, decisions you've made, you found yourself disconnected from God. You found yourself with consequences that you're now suffering due to your actions, things that you never would have imagined? Uh, have Have you ever made decisions or choices you knew were not the best choice, but you never thought it would end like it did? Come on. You ever thought that you'd just gone way too far for God to ever forgive you? I mean... Have you ever made so many bad choices that you thought, well, there's no more good choices to make? It doesn't matter what. i made so many bad choices. What does it matter what I do now? Come on, anybody ever been there? That's where Israel is at. They're lifeless. They're hopeless. Uh, They've got this sense of helplessness that they can't shake. Now, it's not God's description of them. It's their own. They're like, we are nothing but dead bones. One thing that fascinates me, though, a lot about people, and and I've seen it even in myself, so when I say me, is how we're able to go from one extreme to the other. We can be riding on cloud nine. I mean, we're up here, something happens, and oh, we're woe is me. Life sucks. Come on. I mean, we're up here. woohoo! Oh, I hate life. Kill me. I mean, we can go. Uh, See, here's the thing. There are those today. Your relationship with God is so good. You've got such an intimacy with God. I I mean, he is more real to you than the chair, that that chair you're sitting in. He is more real to you than relationships, and you're on this high. The problem here is some people, when they get to that high, they think this is the way it's always going to be. And then they find themselves in the valley. They find themselves and they're like, they start thinking, you're up there on the mountain, you're like, man, why would I ever leave this? Why would I ever leave church? Why would I ever leave this community? It is so good. But we humans, man, are very fragile beings. We're broken. We're damaged. And even when we're experiencing life at its fullness, we are still inclined to neglect it. And maybe you're like I am and you've experienced the realness of God, the complete intimacy of God. And then somewhere along this road of life, you just started feeling disconnected from him, cut off, even dried up. I can tell you from experience that it's almost when you look at the two different places of, of you on this high with God, and then you're down here, it's like that's that was another person altogether. Was this even real? Was it even real what what was going on here? I, I, I mean, I've been there, guys. I've been there where I always want to crawl in a hole and, and die. And, and, and I, when I didn't want anybody to be around, and, and when I finally did muster up enough strength to get up, guess what? I felt numb. None. You know the uh the, the Johnny Cash uh, he covered the song I think it's Nine Inch Nails, was it? Hurt. I cut myself today just to see if I could feel. And we grow numb. We grow numb in it. And that's where the people, God God leads Ezekiel out to this boneyard, this valley filled with bones on top of bones. And he says, hey, Ezekiel, let me ask you, can these bones live? Can these dry bones become living, breathing people again? And Ezekiel is standing there, looking out over this field of bones, upon bones, bones of that, that used to that were at one time people who had dreams, bones of people that one time had hopes, people that bones of people that one time had a purpose. And God says, "Can these bones live again?" What was God asking Ezekiel that day? In the devotion that really wrecked me. This is the part that Chris Valatin said today that just really messed with him because I know a lot of people are just seeing bleakness and darkness. He said this. He said this was he said this is what I believe God was challenging Ezekiel with. He said, I propose that God was challenging his prophet to see beyond the bleakness that surrounded him. And exercising authority that maybe he didn't fully understand the power of God's final say. He said, I believe the purpose that God was saying, Ezekiel, I don't want you to see what everybody else is seeing. Everybody else is seeing the bleakness. I want you to see what I see. And I want you to understand this. I have the final say when it comes down to it. I have the final say. God's challenge to Ezekiel that day was to prophesy to these dry bones. These dry bones, you'll see later, were once a powerful army, and God says, I want you to prophesy and restore them back to their original purpose. Man, I believe that's what God wants to do today. As God's children, as followers of Jesus, God's challenge to us in this dark world that, come on, let's be honest, is getting darker and darker is not to see things the way everybody else is seeing them. Not to speak to it, but to speak life and begin to be the breath of God that breathes life into people and actually begins to restore them back to their purpose God created them to. Four ways that I believe we can see life in a valley of dry bones. we got to learn See beyond the obvious. Anybody ever heard the expression when, when you someone answered a question, you go, oh, thanks, Captain Obvious. <laughs> what do you say? You're like, uh, I think everybody already knows that. I think everybody else has seen that. But God is calling us to see beyond the obvious as he did Ezekiel that day. Ezekiel stood there at this graveyard filled with bones and began to speak to it. How foolish do you think Ezekiel felt? Come on, I've preached to some dead people before, but not a bunch of bones. Look, look. So he goes, hey, I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound. I believe, let's stop it. I didn't say this tonight, but I'm thinking about this. If I'm Ezekiel, I'll probably close my eyes to prophesy. I'm prophesying to the bones. I start hearing noises in a graveyard, I'm going to be like, (laughs) come on. I mean, I'm like, holy crap, what's going on? Uh, you know. Anyway, let's move on. I prophesied as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound. The bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, tendons and flesh appeared on them, skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. No breath in them. See, that's the problem. I believe their church is filled with a lot of people that look like they're alive, but there is no breath in them. The breath of God is not flowing in them. Let's move on. Then he said to me, "Prophesy to the breath. Speak to the breath." He said that the word breath comes from the Hebrew word ruach. It's 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 a, translated as wind or spirit. He said prophesy to the wind, prophesy to the spirit. And, and, and so he said, prophesy to the breath, the spirit wind. Prophesy, son of man, say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Uh, come, breathe from the four winds, breathe into these slain that they may live. Now, now, I know it sounds crazy that we would speak to bones, that we would speak to the wind. Come on, that's kind of crazy. But God has only one intention, and that is for you to come to life. And he'll make that happen even if it's something as crazy as standing in a boneyard and beginning to prophesy over your dry bones. Let's go on. So I prophesied as he commanded, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood upon their feet. What? A vast army. I know this is a prophetic vision for that time. But I believe it's also a vision uh, of a reality that God is trying to get us as the church to see. So I'm just going to take it for what it says. If there's a place that God is saying, hey, there's a place, church, follow of mind," that you can stand where you can be kin to breathe life into people, what are you going to do? There's a place you can stand that when others are seeing death, when others are seeing defeat, when others are seeing gloom and doom and no hope, that you can stand and you can see a vast army. While others are seeing no end in sight to COVID, you see what God sees. When others are seeing uh, no end to an addiction, we see freedom. When when others may see no hope for a stage four cancer patient, you know what we see? We see Jehovah Rapha, the God that heals. When others may see an economy crashing and think, man, Christmas is going to be bleak this year, we see Jehovah Jireh, our provider. We see beyond the obvious. While others are p- pointing out our sins and what we've done wrong and how can we even claim to know Jesus, what we see is Jehovah's sick canoe, the Lord who is my righteousness. I don't come based upon my righteousness. That's filthy rags. I lean into his righteousness and allow him to cover me. When others are trying to see, I don't see which way to go. I can't see the direction. What we see is Jehovah, Raha the Lord, my shepherd who guides me. And when others see depression, anxiety, and fear, we see beyond the obvious. And we see Jehovah, Shalom, the Lord who is my peace. We've got to learn to see beyond the obvious, guys. The second We've got to learn to lead the way. Lead the way. I'm seeing too many Christians, followers of Jesus, leading a way, but it's not the right way. Come on. Lead the way. It is our responsibility. I I want you to hear me close because we have people that have moved here from all over uh, our country that have settled here. Uh, And we've got people that are natives here. You grew up here. But here's what you need to hear. It is what we were placed here in 10 Mile, Spring City, Decatur, Dayton, Evansville, Athens, Sweetwater, Niota, you name it if I missed it. We were placed here to lead the way and be a light. Not to go along with what everybody else is doing, but to lead the way. We've got to see... 2 Kings, man, I love this story. Israel is is at war with the kingdom of Aram. And the king of Aram, oh, this is such a good story, Uh, he is drawing out these battle plans of how he's going to attack Israel and how they're going to ambush them. And God is hearing these plans. And then going go, going back to Elisha, telling him the plans, and then Elisha's calling the king of Israel, hey, 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 no, don't go that way. They're setting you up. And, and everything is failing that the king of Aram's doing. So finally he's like, we've got, we've got somebody in our camp that is telling everything we're doing. Then one of the people said, no, no, no. no. Uh, there's, this a, there's this prophet Elisha that hears from God and God's telling him everything you're doing. And then he's calling the king of Israel and telling him. And so the king of Aram is like, okay, this has got to stop. I want you to find out where Elisha's staying. Go get him, and you bring him to me. And Elisha and his servant, they were camped out, and, and so they they head out to look for him. 2 Kings 15, through 6, 15 through 17. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning. An army with horses and chariots, King Aram's horses and chariots, surrounded the city. You know, I love the, the the servant. Oh no, my Lord. That's, that's how he's he's got the southern southern, oh Lord, <laughs> what shall we do? The servant asked. And the prophet responded, Don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. What's he doing? He's leading the way for this servant. He said, I know you can't see it, but you just need to follow me. I'm going to lead. And look, look, look. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. The Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. When people feel outnumbered, when people feel defeated, when people feel like there is no hope, we are supposed to be the ones to lead the way to hope. Us, not just sitting on our laurels. What is that even? What is a laurel? Butt sitting on our. We're not supposed to be sitting around on our butt, just oh, just whatever we'll be. No, we are supposed to lead the way. Lead. We're we'll going to be the ones that rise up and even pick a fight. I, we, we should be the ones that say, you know what? Let, let's pick a fight. These, what, these are overwhelming odds, but God has said, this is the way you're going to go, so this is the way we're going to go, and I'm going to lead. I'm telling you why. Because we know there are far more with us than there are against us. Come on. The third thing we've got to do. We've got to learn to be carriers of hope, to be a carrier of hope. Come on, I think we can all agree with this. This world needs hope right now. Needs hope. And I'll just tell you this. Your hope does not lie in some political party or candidate. Your hope doesn't lie in whether you get a job or not or whether you get this. Your hope doesn't lie whether things work out in your favor or not. Your hope doesn't lie in in if that that, uh, doctor's report comes back good or bad. Your hope lies in Jesus and Jesus alone. And we are to be carriers of hope. The, 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 The psalmist said it like this. I love this. It's from the Passion. And now God... I'm left with only one conclusion. My only hope is to hope in you alone. God, I'm looking around, and I don't see a reason to have a lot of hope. I'm looking around. I don't see a lot of hope for my marriage. I'm looking around. I don't see a lot of hope for my kid. I'm looking around. I don't see a lot of hope of us not losing our house. So I've come to this conclusion. My only hope is to hope in you alone. That's all I've got. I'm telling you, when everybody else is speaking hopelessness, when everybody else has seen dead bones, we've got to learn to be carriers of hope. And lastly, what we've got to do is this we've got to remember God's promises. We've got to remember God's promises. Because it's easy when everything's falling apart or it seems like er nothing is working in our favor, when it seems like we can't get past this sin or this addiction in our life, when it seems like things are not getting better in the relationship, it's easy easy for us to forget God's promises to us. Remember, uh, Jesus had been crucified. He's hanging on the cross. The mourners are crying as he's hanging there, the the, um, soldiers are counting their money after they've cast bets. The pilot, he's washed his hands of the entire thing. And it was God's people that had prophesied and gave a promise from God 2,000 years earlier that prophesied and said, remember my promise, an empty tomb at the end of this. I mean, think about it. Jesus' own mother, the disciples that walked with him for three years, when they were walking through the darkest time of their life, they forgot God's promises. That's why they went to the tomb. Jesus isn't there. And instead of going, oh, I remember he said it, he's alive, he's alive. What well, they do? They've taken him. They've stolen him. The disciples were the same way. you're tired, when you're worn out, it's hard to remember God's promises to us. But when the lie comes that addiction will have the final say in your life, what does God say? When the lie comes that cancer will have the final say of your life when it says that divorce, pornography, depression will have the final say in your life, what does God say? Remember God's promises. Remember God's promises. He said He can never leave you nor forsake you. When He said that He would give you the strength for any battle. When He said that He would forgive all your sins. When He said my grace is enough. Whatever you're going through. When he said, I will never stop loving you. And when he said, I am your healer, I am your provider. When he said, Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. See, here's the truth only Jesus gets the final say in your life. Not addiction, not a divorce. Come on. Not some disease not COVID, not the government, only Jesus gets the final say of our life. I'm telling you guys, I I believe this world is wanting, needing, And, and though their actions may say something different, I believe deep down they want real hope. They want it. Why do you think they're trying anything and everything to fill something that is not going to be filled with anything else but the hope of Jesus? That's why we do stuff. I believe they're waiting on a group of people that passionately love Jesus. A group of people that see them the way God sees them. Not with judgment, but with eyes of love and compassion group of people that would declare to them there is hope there is life you don't have to stay dead in the graveyard God asked Ezekiel can these bones live and Ezekiel's like God you're, you're the only one that can answer that question and God begins to speak again verse 12 and we're closing Therefore, prophesy and say to them. This is what the sovereign, okay, I I, want to remind you. He's prophesying to the same, the the bones that he said, they say there is no hope. They say they're dried up. They say they're cut off. He says that I want you to tell them what I see. This is what the sovereign Lord says. My people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open up your graves and bring you up from them. For I will put my spirit in you, and you will live, and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken, and I have done it, declares the Lord. I know you're saying there's no hope. I know you're saying you're dried up. I know you're thinking things are over. But here's what I'm saying. I'm going to raise you up. I'm going to put you where I want you to be. God's saying, you need to understand. You're dried up, but I'm not finished yet. It looks hopeless, but I'm not finished yet. I'm not done yet. I'm still working. See, when you think death, is the end of your story? God is saying, No, I'm going to breathe life back into you. There's a moment in the life of Jesus where Jesus breathes over his disciples. And it can be easy, easily overlooked. Um, Jesus has been crucified, he comes back to life, and the disciples are out hiding. Why? Because they didn't remember the promise of God. Check it out, verse 20, or chapter 20, John 19. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came, stood among them, said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hand his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Why? Because they remembered the promise of God. And again, Jesus said, Peace be with you as the Father sent me. I'm sending you. Now, I want you to pay it. This gets overlooked. And with that, he breathed on them. Same word. The Spirit of the wind. The Spirit of the wind, he said, receive the Holy Spirit. Here's what you need to understand. Until God breathes into your soul, you are dead. You may be walking around but there is no life in you. You may have skin on and tendons, but there is no life in you. He has to breathe into you, and that Spirit brings you to life. See, here's the thing. You don't have to have all the answers. Everything doesn't even have to make sense to you because there's only one thing you need to know. The question I want to ask, do you want to live? Do you want to be a carrier of hope? Do you want to see beyond the obvious? And here's the thing. I, I don't know who this is for, but you need to know this truth. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter how much damage you may have done to yourself or to somebody else, no matter how dark or destructive a road you've been on, you may have given up on yourself, but God has never Why? Because God knows. Because God's not looking at the obvious. He sees what he's placed in you. He's a God that speaks life. He's a God who makes dead bones come to life. He is, he, he is the God that, that resurrects hope. Stand with me across this way.